Father, we want to thank you, Lord. We thank you for all the provision that uh, that you give to us, Father, in our in our salvation, in our sanctification. We thank you, Lord, for the fellowship that we have with one another, that we can build each other up and enjoy one another's fellowship. We thank you, Lord, that that you uh, inspired your word to be to be written down and to be preserved down through the generations and and translated into our language so that we can read and and understand and that your holy spirit teaches us father we we praise you for all the the spiritual blessings that you've given us as we understand your word the uh our adoption and our acceptance in Christ and our perfect standing in him and all the things that you give to us we just pray that you would continue now tonight open our eyes to your word father in our Savior's name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 16, we, uh, we did verse 17 through, um, through about verse 20 last time, very kind of just skimmed over them. So I'd like to go back over these passages, uh, these verses here, and, and give them the time that, that I think that Paul would want for them to have. He says in Romans 16, verse 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Now Paul's been talking, and the reason I say that Paul would want this to be, uh, to be settled on, sat on, thought about, meditated on, given some time to, is because he does that. Uh, here in the book of Romans, Almost more than any single issue that he deals with, he takes all of chapters 14 and 15, and he talks about divisions and offenses and how to avoid those things by receiving one another. And and in the context of the church, the assembly, and brethren... Uh, within the assembly, brothers and sisters, members of the assembly, at different levels of spiritual growth. And it, we, we went through those chapters and, and took the time and went down through there to see what Paul had to say about that. But he brings it up again here in chapter 16, after the, uh, all of the greetings and things that we, that we went through. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. And the doctrine which you have learned is what he just got done spending all that time in those two full chapters uh, previous to this, chapter 16, telling us about. If you look back in, um, in chapter 14... You remember, just to refresh our memories here, if you look in chapter 14, verse 1, get the general gist of these, both these chapters, "...him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations." And the idea throughout this portion of Scripture here is the, this, uh, these divisions and offenses that Paul tells us to avoid. Chapter 14, a little further down, verse um, 17... 14.17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved 
of man. See, he that in these things serveth Christ in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, not in meats and drinks. Now, if you, if you look over again in, in chapter 16 in our passage, avoid them, verse 17, verse 18, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And that's the idea there of the meats and drinks. Now, the, uh, the divisions and offenses, if you read down in, in uh, chapter 14, back where we just were, verse 18 we just read, verse 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. See, that's the idea of, uh, of those offenses. Divisions and offenses. And, and, and what Paul is, is doing here, he has just told us that we need to receive a weaker brother who doesn't understand the issues of, uh, of earthly things not, um, not affecting our spiritual, uh, our spiritual relationship with God in terms of meat and drink and, and circumcision and baptism and all the rest of that stuff falls under these categories. But he says that you can, you can, be, a, uh, you can be destruction to the work of God. He says, for meat, destroy not the work of God. For meat's sake. Now that's not the weak brother who's, uh, who, who, doesn't, who won't eat meat, who eats herbs that he talked about before. That's the strong brother who's not doing what Paul is calling us to do here and insisting that, this, that, that these people eat meat. So what he's... It, and the so that's the offenses to cause offense. I'm going to cause my brother to offend. I'm going to by one way or another by making him feel bad, by making him feel stupid, by you're you're a weak brother or you're not at mature. However, it is that I may do that to cause him to eat with offense. Paul says, all things are pure, but if you eat with offense, it's evil. I want to. I'm, I'm coming back to these passages because I want to point out the the uh, the urgency of this matter that Paul has been talking about here. He talks about destroying the work of God. He talks about evil. He talks about uh, uh, divisions and offenses. So on the one hand, now you've got a weak brother who we're all supposed to receive and bear his infirmities. And you know, bring him along in gentleness and edification, but don't judge him and, and despise him and so forth. But at the same time, you have people where they have issues with meats and all of these things, but they're not a weak brother. They're coming in and wanting to impose that on the rest of the assembly. So, on the one hand, you've got a religious uh, 
person who's going to abstain from all of these, you know, give me a list of things that I do's and don'ts and, and things to do and things to abstain from and all that religious garbage coming in and causing division. On the other hand, you can have a Pharisee in, in, in liberty. You can have someone who says, uh, who demands that you exercise your liberty. Eat that meat. <laughs> and Paul says neither, you don't want either one of those. You don't, want, you don't want divisions and you don't want offenses. You don't want someone who's going to come in uh, uh, bringing this uh, bondage and you don't want someone who's going to come in forcing liberty to the point where you're causing offenses. So the whole and and he tells us there in chapter sixteen, if you got somebody who's doing either one of those things, mark them and avoid them. Now that means listen, there's only two ways to avoid someone if you're going to the same church. Either you stop going or he does. Paul's not suggesting that you stop going. Okay? So mark them and avoid them means oust them. If they're not going to uh, uh, listen to reason and, and take uh, heed to what Paul's saying here, he says, um, mark them and avoid them. Now, come with me over to Second um, Thessalonians chapter 3. You know, there is such a thing as throwing somebody out of the church. I mean, under grace. Um, Paul talks about it on a, on a few different occasions for extreme situations like, like what we're talking about here. And this is an extreme situation. When someone comes in and tries to, uh, uh, tries to, to, to drive a wedge between brethren with uh, either religious doctrine or a religious heart in doctrines of liberty. Either way, you can, be, uh, you can destroy the work of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now listen, I'm talking about us in the, uh, as we deal with one another. I'm not talking about teaching liberty. You get behind the pulpit and you then you teach liberty and we talk to one another about liberty and if there's a weaker brother we try to edify and so forth. That's not. I mean, you teach that you teach it strong. There's no uh, there's no room for compromise. But the uh, but but what Paul's talking about is person to person and how we deal with one another at at our different levels of spiritual growth. You can ruin a brother and you can ruin an assembly. Second Thessalonians chapter three, Paul says, um, verse six. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, <clears throat> and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now there, that is again. How do you withdraw yourself from that person? You stop going to the church? No. We look down a little further. Verse 14, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, same thing he says in Romans 16, mark him, and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. 
Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. See, so even after you you uh, told the guy, look, you know we've we've talked about this a few several times already, and you just keep insisting, uh, and and the the, the church gets together and decides you know we've got a cancer here and and we need to do some surgery and and that happens and you put the person out and I keep saying guy man or woman whatever you still the 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 uh, the spirit of admonishing of receiving one another even as you're putting them out you still have that heart of, of receiving because he's got a spiritual shortcoming just like the weak brother that Paul's been talking about so but his spiritual shortcoming is not uh, private to himself like the guy who only eats herbs he goes home and he and he does what his conscience feels he needs to do but this guy's trying to press it on the assembly so so you so you put him out you don't let him ruin the church but at the same time your heart towards him is not Matthew 18, if he hearken not unto you, count him as a heathen man and a publican, like the Lord told his disciples to do. Count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So we, we keep that heart of, of grace even as he is on the outside. Even people that Paul said to deliver unto Satan, that was done for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So your your heart doesn't turn against them, but you don't let them turn the church against each other either. Back in in Romans 16. So there is discipline. There is such a thing as church discipline in the dispensation of grace. And I'm pressing that with you because Paul presses this issue. And because I think it, 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 it's something that uh, it, it's something that that people don't would obviously rather not do. And um, but if and when the situation arises, you need to to know what the procedure is and what and what the Lord calls for. Paul says, "I beseech you to do this. Don't let the guy just sit there destroying the work of God that you're trying to build." Now I beseech you, brethren, back in Romans sixteen seventeen, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. So it's interesting to me that the issue is the guy's causing division, and what you want to do is divide yourself from someone who's causing division. So you you know you say well people have. Uh, uh, Splits over churches do over serious, important doctrinal issues, and 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 people say, well, you know what, the doctrine, you, you, it, it, it's not that important. What's really important is the unity, and let the doctrine go. No, you don't want to do that. See, Paul, there's there's times when you separate yourself. That's what Paul is saying here. There's reasons to do it. Now here, while we understand that sometimes you have to separate yourself, I want you to notice that it's because this guy is causing division is the reason that we're called to separate ourselves from him. So dividing the body of Christ is not a light thing. We don't do it lightly. This guy, Paul says, 
put him out if he's doing that, if he's driving wedges. 4, verse uh, 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Now this, the, the, person, the people that Paul's talking about here, come to uh, Philippians in chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, see, what you've got again is a, is a religious spirit on two different sides of the ledger. You've got a religious spirit who is, uh, who is in bondage to earthly things and wants you to be in bondage too. Then you've got a religious spirit who uh, understands liberty and, and becomes a Pharisee in it by, uh, by forcing weaker brethren to do things either by shame or by whatever reason that, are, that is against their own conscience rather than giving them the grace to grow and to come along as God brings them along as God would have them built up and edified. I'm going to insist that somebody be where I am right now. Well, what's the difference between that and a Pharisee who insists that because I'm circumcised, you need to be circumcised? What's the difference? It's a religious spirit on both sides of the aisle. Philippians chapter 3 very similar context here. This is the opposite side of, of who to mark in verse 17. Philippians 3.17 Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. So now here's some people to mark just like in Romans chapter 16 but these guys you don't want to mark and avoid you want to mark and follow. So you're identifying two different kinds of people here. You're saying, here's one guy who's, who's destroying the work of God and I'm going to identify him and call him and recognize him for who he is and avoid him. Now here's another guy who is walking, following Paul, not just in, uh, in doctrine but in practice and in that heart of grace. And here's some other people who are walking like him and I want to mark and identify them and follow them and walk like them. So I'm avoiding this guy, and I'm following these guys. Uh, having identified them both, and that's the criteria. Be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so, as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. These are the guys in Romans 16 he just told you about. And whose glory, or some of them, and whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things. So Paul, now, now who Paul's talking about here, who are the enemies of the cross of Christ? You remember Romans chapter 11. Paul was talking about the nation of Israel and, and of those branches that were broken off of that olive tree. And he says, they are enemies for the gospel's sake but they're beloved for the Father's sake. So here he's specifically talking about those Judaizers. That's why he says, I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. You remember Romans chapter 9. 
brethren, I, I lie not. My, my, uh, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So Paul, when he tells you about these these guys, it's it's not uh, he's not rejoicing in their in their evil, and he's not just jumping up and down like you know like I do sometimes, like we do sometimes, just you know badmouth everybody and whoever's not us, you know just they can they can be counted as an enemy. I do that. The Catholics do this, and the Mormons do that, and the these guys do that and, and, and whatever well you know okay they do but remember Paul says we too were once ignorant and, and, uh, and out in the world and all of those all of those things so Paul's not saying this just to badmouth somebody he says I'm, I'm telling you this weeping it breaks my heart that my brethren my kinsmen according to the flesh are the enemies of the cross of Christ you know that, that that's that that's an interesting designation because who was it that put Christ on the cross but his enemies so when it was for them to accept him and receive him the cross was their friend and he was their enemy now when it's time to befriend the cross now they're the enemies of the cross and it, because the issue is, wherever God is, I don't want to be there. I want to be against that. I want to be opposed to that. So, when the cross is a good thing, now they become its enemies. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. Perry was just talking about, follow the money. You know, people do things for, uh, for physical gain. Whether it's whether it's wealth or or power or recognition or whatever it is, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame, and that's that that their their flesh. In their flesh, they think that uh, they're approaching God, but the fact is that their flesh is the thing that keeps them from God, and they glory in their shame. So these are the guys. The uh, the guys who would uh, who would impose some religion on you that is uh, contrary to the doctrine that you have learned. Back in Romans chapter sixteen, you say, "Well, that's we got to beware of the Jews." Then, right? Now, listen. These guys, Paul says earlier in Philippians, they preach Christ. Some preach Him of contention and some preach Him in sincerity and so forth. The Jews are not out there preaching Christ. And, uh, and the people that, that we have to deal with now are more like the people that uh, uh, Paul talks about, the false apostles who transform themselves into the ministers of Christ. Jews are not doing that today. The Jews are not going around preaching Christ falsely, truly, or any other way. But it's that, it's that religious spirit that they represented in Paul's day that they still represent today, but that people who name the name of Christ also have adopted and represent today. Romans chapter 16 again, verse 18. 
For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Now, come come back with me, if you would, to Proverbs in chapter 1. And I'd like to go through... And show you if you if you if you if you're unaware the first ten chapters of Proverbs, the the book of Proverbs is divided into a, a few different sections, and um, chapters one through nine are are a kind of a narrative and instruction, and it, and you can re, kind of read it straight through like a like a book. Beginning in chapter 10, chapter 10 starts out the Proverbs of Solomon, and it starts going verse a verse at a time, and it's not and you can't really it doesn't read like a like a book. There's not a continuous flow, at least not an apparent one. Uh, it's just the my headings say moral virtue virtues and their contrary vices, and that's and that's basically what the proverbs are. They're just sayings one at a time, but that starts in chapter 10. The first nine chapters, there's a, there's a theme running through. And I want you to see it. Um, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, says, Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. Look at uh, chapter 2. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her, as silver, and searchest for her, as for hid treasures. In these first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, you are, you are introduced to two women. One is wisdom, and the other has a few different names, like wisdom uh, has a few different names, understanding and knowledge and prudence and so forth. The other is a strange woman, the evil woman. And as you read through these, uh, these first nine chapters, at a, at a, on the surface, just as a cursory reading, what you would get out of them, and what you should get out of them, is that uh, you should stay away from adultery. And, and, and a, a wise man doesn't mix himself up with a, with a wicked woman, with an adulteress and so forth. That's kind of at the surface. But as you, if you read through it a few times, you, you, you begin to realize that this strange woman is the, uh, is the opposite and the contrary part to wisdom, to, to, uh, to the woman who is understanding and truth. So what you get in um, chapter 2, you see her, wisdom is going to, verse 16, deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger with, which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the guide of her youth, and forgetteth the covenant of her God. For her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life, that thou mayest walk uh, in the way of good men, and keepeth the path of the righteous. See, now this strange woman here, She's going she's gonna to lead you into death. 
And, and she's going to lead you away from the path of life. And she's going to lead you straight into hell. Keep, uh, look, look over in chapter 3. You see uh, wisdom again in verse 13. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, the man that getteth understanding. Look at verse 16. She is more precious than rubies and so forth. For, uh, chapter 4, verse 5. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth, forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. You see her again in verse 13. Uh, in, in instruction. Now look in, in chapter 5. My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as an honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. Now who this woman is, she's, she's religion. She's falsehood. She's the contrary part to the truth. She's the one who's gonna who's gonna flatter you and dazzle you and and flirt with you and seduce you and cause you to come into into her house lest you should ponder the paths of life. And she will lead you straight into hell by seduction and by her beauty and 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 by all of that fleshly, worldly uh those enticements. Paul talks about uh, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That's her. Religion. Look at chapter 6. The commandment, verse 23. The commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and the reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep thee from the evil woman from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? You say, well, that's talking about a a whorish woman. Well, yeah, it is. But it's talking about something else. It's it's that woman is the uh, is the counterpart to wisdom to your sister wisdom, and look now notice verse twenty seven. Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Now can I say to you that you and I ought to ought to probably take good heed to that verse. Because there are things on the radio and on TV and all around us, Christian things that uh, that 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 we like to you know supplement our uh, you know our edification. Be careful where you go for that. There's a lot of stuff out there that's uh, that's got a lot of truth in it, but see that's the seduction. That's where, the, that's where the division and the offense comes in. So you want to be careful. You can't take fire into your bosom and not be burned. 
Don't, you know, I can sit here, I know, I'm going to listen to this, you know, TV preacher, radio. I'm not saying don't watch TV or don't listen to radio preachers. I'm saying keep this in mind. I can listen and not be affected because I know. I know grace doctrine. I know how to rightly divide. Anything he says that's wrong, I'll just spit it out. Well, that's okay and that's all well and good for a short while if you have to be exposed to it. But I'll tell you what, your guard will come down and you can't take fire into your bosom any more than I can and expect not to be burned. You can't just keep receiving that stuff and affect not, it, 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 expect it not to destroy the work of God in you, in your heart. Verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 4, Say unto wisdom, Thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger that flattereth with her words. Now, drop down, because this is really chapter 7, why we're here. I just wanted to give you that what what Solomon is doing here in this first nine chapters. If you've never looked at that, go through and read those and see what wisdom does and what this strange woman does and compare the two. What the strange woman does is she mirrors wisdom like Satan mirrors God. And she does the 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 evil counterpart of everything that wisdom does down the line. Go through and study it. But here in um, she here Solomon says verse six, for at the window of my house I looked through my casement, and I beheld among the simple ones. What does Paul say? That through good words and fair speeches they deceive the hearts of the simple. See that's and that's who they're going after too. If you wanna. Uh, you know, if, you, if you've got some suspicions, and I'm not telling you to be suspicious. Love uh, believes all things and hopes all things. But if you see someone who, who you've already heard them say, somebody maybe, who knows, new comes into the church, or who not, whatever, you've heard them say some things already that you're kind of like, you know, what? You see them hanging around the younger brethren the weaker brethren, the less mature. I'm telling you from experience, they've got radar. They know, they know very quickly who's vulnerable, who's gullible, who is going to be susceptible to their their seduction, and they target those people. They go after the simple, and that doesn't mean stupid, it just means not as... uh, spiritually uh, mature and, and intelligent. So I saw a simple one. I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner. It's a prostitute. And he went the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot. Revelation ringing any bells there? Uh, And subtle of heart. Who was more subtle than any beast of the field? Satan, through his subtlety, beguiled Eve, Paul says, and I, and I fear that uh, he can do the same to the Corinthians, to, to you, to us. She's loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. She's an evangelist. She's out there on the corner, right? That's what a prostitute is. She's an evangelist. There's a song. Uh, who, uh, who did... Um, Randy Travis did... Uh, what was the name of the song? It was uh, four people on a bus, a farmer and a teacher, 
a hooker and a preacher. And he says one was one was on vacation, one was headed for higher education, and two of them were searching for lost souls. And that's and that's that's a great line. The the, the hooker and the preacher were out looking for lost souls for two different reasons. She's an evangelist. In the twilight, in the evening, uh, he goes by her corner. Um, now she is without, uh, verse 12, she's now in the streets and lieth in wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him and with an impudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me and this day have I paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee diligently to seek thy face and I have found thee. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloe and crimson. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves, for the goodman is not at home. He is gone on a long journey. Who's that? He hath taken a bag of money with him, and he will come home at the day appointed. The goodman of the house is gone. He's left. He's gone on a long journey. In his absence, let's do some fooling around. This is that strange woman. She's a, she's a, a, she's a prostitute standing on the corner. She's religion. Verse 21, With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. She caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. What does Paul say? With their good words and their fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. That's who he's talking about. Beware of this woman. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver. As a bird hasteneth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. You say, well, doesn't all that apply to a to a to a strange woman, a discourish woman? Of course it does. But is that what Solomon's really getting at here? Take it that way. <laughs> all of that is absolutely true. Over and over, God told Israel, you, you went out and you found your lovers and you and you slept with them and you committed adultery and whoredoms on me. And he's not talking about sex; he's talking about religion. He's talking about this woman getting into bed with this woman. So that's why back in Romans chapter 16, Paul, he doesn't deal with this issue lightly. And he says, you've got you to gotta cut that stuff out of the church. They're going to destroy the work of God. And cut it out of your own life. Paul Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, you know, you got these guys in the church, but you're suffering them. If a man, you know, come and smite you on the face and and uh, take of you and 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 put you in bondage, you 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 bear with him. You suffer fools gladly. So. On the one hand, we can make sure they don't come in and infiltrate the church. That's a good thing. But watch your own heart. Don't suffer fools gladly. Don't invite them in.
They, uh, with good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. Verse 19, For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Now, he's, t- he's talking about... Uh, he just talked about the simple in verse 18. So he says, don't be simple concerning good. Don't, don't be someone who's gullible and, and susceptible to this, uh, um, to this divisive person here. Concerning that which is good, be wise. Be simple concerning evil. I think I said to you last time, you know, you don't have to... It, it was probably Jerry Falwell or somebody like that who said, you don't, you don't have to lift up a sewer cap and stick your head in to know that it stinks. You know, you don't, you don't need to get involved in, in iniquity just so you can know what you're talking about. Paul says, be simple concerning evil. If you don't know anything about how, how you know, the, the wicked ways of, you know, how people get evil things done, and you couldn't do that if you tried, well, praise the Lord. Uh, you know, don't, you know, we, 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 we tend to glory in people's uh, testimony of their past lives sometimes and how wicked they were. And that's great. The Lord delivered them from all of that. But sometimes it's, it's almost like the church envies, you know, the, 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 the wickedness that they, you know, this per- person is so worldly wise and that kind of thing. Well, the Lord can use that. He can use that in a person. But Paul says the optimum thing is to be simple concerning evil and to be wise concerning good. Now, all of these things that he's talking about here that we've been looking at, the subtlety and the seduction and good and evil and, and wisdom and being wise and being simple, all of that is hearkening us back to the beginning, back to Genesis chapter 3. And you know it is because the next verse, verse 20, uh, verse 20, he says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. And that's a direct reference to Genesis 3.15. That, that, that Satan is going to be bruised. Now he's talking about in this context. He's trying to, this, this woman is Satan. She's a seducing spirit. She's religion. That's what Satan does. He he is uh, he is a, a religious zealot. He's an evangelist. That's what he does. Well, you know what? I'm just about out of time, but I want to show you something. I just noticed this verse and last night, so I don't know enough. Come back to Ezekiel, um, chapter twenty-eight. And I, I say I just noticed it last night. I've read it a hundred times, but you know how that how that goes. Um, Ezekiel chapter 28. So I won't say anything about it more than I know. I'm just going to show it to you. And we know that Satan does his work in churches. Right? It's not like the world looks at it. You know, Satan's in the bars and the brothels and the, you know, and that's where he hangs out. No, what Satan does, he does in spiritual circles. And he's been doing that from the beginning. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 28 is talking about um, Satan. Verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have made thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, and so forth. Um, He says he'll destroy him from the midst of the stones of fire. In uh, 
in verse 16, verse 17, thine heart, talking about the original sin, Satan's original sin, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom. See, that's what the woman is. She's that corrupted wisdom. She's the corruption of the true. By reason of thy brightness, I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they uh, may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities. Did you know that Satan had sanctuaries? Now, he's talking, the Lord's talking about in the beginning, at the fall, before all of this that you and I sees going on. He had some sanctuaries, apparently. What's a sanctuary? It's a, it's a temple. Or it's a place of religious worship. Now, where would those sanctuaries have been? Wherever they were, he defiled them. Now, that's what he does today, isn't it? goes around defiling sanctuaries. Now, we don't have sanctuaries today. There's no temple on the earth except... You and me, we're the sanctuary in this dispensation, right? But apparently, like I said, I can't say much more about that than that because that's kind of new to me. But Satan's been a church destroyer from long before the earth was created. They were his sanctuaries, it says. He was heading them up. He was God's head sanctuary guy, I guess. Went around from sanctuary to sanctuary, leading the worship. I don't know. But he got it in his head that he was the one that needed to be worshipped. And he started defiling the sanctuaries. Back in Romans chapter 16. So Satan's been at this for a long time. He's been trying to destroy the work of God for a lot longer than than you and I or man has, has been around and before he did it in the Garden of Eden. That's why Paul takes you back in this passage all the way back to the beginning. And he says, Satan will be bruised under your feet shortly if you do what I'm telling you to do. And, and watch out for, these, for this kind of division because it's, it's the work of the adversary. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you Amen. And I told you before um, that this is actually a postscript. Paul ends the, the epistle back at the end of chapter 15. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Then P.S. I command unto you Phoebe and he goes down here and then he ends it again here in, in verse 20. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. P.S. Timotheus my work fellow, I don't have much to say about these verses, so let's just read them and I'll quit. I know we're a little over time. Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. You know, it's amazing how many of Paul's family uh, got saved, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Jews. Little, little dagger in the heart there for, for, for yours truly. I don't know if that does anything for you or not. Um, I, Tertius who wrote this epistle, salute you. So that's uh, the secretary, Tertius. He, he penned the epistle. He kinda, he, I don't know if he snuck his greeting in there as, as while Paul was uh, saying all these people greet you and Tertius, while Paul was taking a pause or whatever, put the, 
I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you too. I don't know, or he probably said, hey, can I say hi? And Paul said, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I don't have anything to say about that other than this. That verse, Romans 16, 22, is an excellent verse to show people, along with 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, and a lot of other places, that when you talk about inspiration, it's not the men who are inspired, it's the Scripture. Inspiration has nothing to do with the men. The men of God are moved by the Holy Ghost. The men are never inspired. When you say that the Scripture was written by inspired men, that's, you're incorrect. The Scripture is inspired. The Scripture, the words on the page, that's what's inspired. Men like uh, Shakespeare were inspired. Okay, That's not what we're talking about when you talk about Scripture. When you talk about Scripture, you're talking about the words on the page coming out of the mouth of God. So whether it's Paul or Tertius or whomever it is, if it's Scripture, it's inspired. And, it, and, and the man isn't the issue. Anyway... Uh, Gaius, mine host. He's in Corinth. If you look over and right at the next page in 1 Corinthians 1.14, uh, he calls Gaius one of the Corinthians. And we've been over that already, that Paul wrote this from Corinth. So he's uh, putting up Paul. He's got him in the house and of the whole church. So the church meets in Gaius' house. Saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. So he's an officer of Corinth, a uh, treasurer more than likely. And Cordus, a brother. So they, apparently they don't know Cordus. Uh, so Paul identifies him there as a brother. And that's interesting too. You know, the body of Christ, being a member of the body of Christ, will do that. People don't even know each other. Tell them I said hi. They're a thousand miles away. You'll probably never even see them. Tell them I said hi. We're family. Cordus, a brother. Nice to meet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. He ends it there again. And we'll get that last postscript next, next time.